Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you guys. Grateful that we can connect this way. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 11 to 16 this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 11 to 16. We're starting a new series called Prayer and Fasting. We're going to enter a 21 uh, days of prayer sort of season as a church and certainly, if you're watching with us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to that in, in lots of different ways this morning. So I hope that uh, you'll stay connected with us uh, in that way as we, as we begin this series on prayer and fasting. What I'd like to talk today is just the simple subject, it's time to pray and fast. And so to do that, if you would, just stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 11 to 16, 2 Chronicles 7, 11 to 16. Here's what the word says. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. You can be seated wherever you are today. I think it's really interesting as we sort of launch into this series today that we pick up at the original house of prayer, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And when we sort of jump into history right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we're jumping into a time of prosperity for the people of Israel. So for a long time, they have, well, they have really gone from captivity in Egypt to wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, really depending on God from manna from heaven or water from a rock, now to entering the promised land. And King David has now built up this city called the City of David. And his son Solomon is building a temple at the top of the city of David uh, for the Lord. It's for the sacrifices of God that are commanded in the Hebrew Bible. It's for his very presence to dwell there. And this particular season is a time of prosperity. Everybody is building a house for themselves. There's a palace for the king. Uh, People have what they need. They have vineyards, they have olives, they have produce and wheat fields and all of those kinds of things that brings about material possessions. They're living in a time uh, that we would call blessed. And it's in the midst of that time that Solomon dedicates this temple to the Lord and we enter in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a dialogue between the Lord and Solomon. And I think it's really interesting that on this very special occasion, when the Lord is going to make his presence with his people at the temple, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, 
in this house that Solomon has built. It's interesting that on this occasion, the Lord chooses to the, utter the words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. It simply says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Now, if you're paying attention, you would have to ask yourself the question, you know, God, why on a, on a festive occasion like this, why in a moment of prosperity like this, like why on this happy day when your presence is going to descend and you'll be with us and you have your house and we have our houses and we have everything that we need, why would you utter such a word? about a time when you're going to shut up the heavens and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Why would he say that in that moment? And the reality is God knows us. He knows that we have a tendency in our prosperity and with access to his presence, he knows that we have a tendency to become dependent upon ourselves, to waller in our pride and to forget God. And he's telling Solomon early on, hey, when this happens, you need to come back to me. You need to come back to the house of the Lord. You're going to have to do some things because there will be times when I shut up the heavens and there is no rain. There will be times when I command the locusts to, to, to devour the land. There will be times of pestilence and famine. And in that, not just on the happy day, but in that, you need to turn to me. You need to come to the temple and pray and seek my face and, and all of that. Well, let me make a couple of observations this morning, even as we're in this season that seems difficult, uh, that is difficult. Uh, we're, in, we're, in fact, fighting an invisible man, so to speak. Uh, when we think of coronavirus, all of us, it has isolated us. We've taken certain precautions that we should take. But this invisible virus that we cannot see with our eyes is like a pestilence. It's like something that is causing us to uh, adapt and change and do things very differently all of a sudden like we never thought we, we would ever do. And I want to make a couple of observations from this passage in light of the season that we're in uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. And the, and the first observation is this, that our God doesn't change. So the same God that is uttering this, uh, this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 to Solomon is the same God that speaks to you and to me today, whom we have access to through our Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Our God doesn't change. And the point I'm making is simply this, is that God uses events just like we're going through, just like he said to Solomon, I'm going to use the famine, I'm going to use pestilence, I'm going to use lack of rain to turn people back to me. God is using a season like this. I think he's using coronavirus to globally turn his people back to him because he doesn't change. I don't know if he's causing it, 
but I know that he's using it. I don't know if it's just a ramification of our brokenness that comes from Genesis 3 as sin entered the picture and we have viruses now that attack our bodies and, and, and globally become things like pandemics or I don't know if it's just a natural, supernatural sort of cause, a spiritual cause that affects the physical or if God is causing it, but I do know that he's using it Uh, for a reason, just like he used the wilderness with the people of Israel, just like he's saying to Solomon right now in the prosperity, when the bad things come, you're going to have to turn toward me. And he invites them in that moment to come back to the temple that Solomon's built, come back to the house of God. Well, a second observation that's clear from the scripture is that no longer are we running to a, a physical temple on the temple mount in Jerusalem to dwell in God's presence. In fact, the scripture clearly teaches us that we are the people of God and we are the temple of God in Christ Jesus. So in Solomon's time, the call was, when it gets bad like this, come back to the temple and turn toward me. But in our time, we are the people. We are the temple. Paul said this in Romans chapter 11, 17 and 18. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Now, in our 21st century Western mindset, we might not get the illustration, so let me explain. Paul is saying to Christians who come to faith through Jesus Christ, that you are coming to the same God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that is the creator of all things. And the God of Abraham, his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're described as an olive tree, a cultivative olive tree, one that's taken care of and produces fruit. And we, those who come to faith in Jesus Christ but are not born of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're like this wild olive shoot, like one that's picked up off the ground and grafted in into this cultivated olive tree. And we become, because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we become children of Abraham. We become part of this cultivated olive tree. We become, in fact, the people of God. And that's the point that we are the people of God in Christ. Now, Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here, Paul is saying, look, this body of ours, this body of flesh that I have, the body that you have, Uh, collectively, we are the temple of God. My body is part of the temple of God. The Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, dwells inside of me, just like the presence of God dwelled in that physical building that Solomon built inside the Holy of Holies. So we are his people, and we are his temple. We're not running to a, a temple in Jerusalem. We're not Uh, having to make a physical journey, but we are his temple. We are his people. So God doesn't change. And we are his people. We are his temple. And, and, And this means 
some things. When we come back to this passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we find that as the people of God, who are also the temple of God, approaching God, there is a proper response that we must have when God shuts up the heavens so there is no rain or commands the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. I'm telling you, there is a proper spiritual response that the people of God must have right now in the midst of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And what is that response? Well, it's clearly laid out here. How do we respond in a moment like this? Here's what verse 14 says. If my people, it's an if-then statement. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So we get this if-then statement when there is a time of pestilence or a time of famine or a a drought or, or a time like this that we're living in of suffering and difficulty globally. What are the people of God to do? And here's what we get. If we, number one, humble ourselves. So what does it mean to humble ourselves even now? It's interesting that word humble means to bring a low. It means to come into subjection. It means to come under. So when we're talking about humbling ourselves even now, we're talking about getting on our faces before God, getting as low as we possibly can get physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and bringing ourselves into subjection to Him. Now, I, I would say, at least speaking of, of Christians in the United States of America, I would say a month ago, we had less tendency generally to bring ourselves into subjection to Almighty God. We had less tendency to humble ourselves before God. But now, with the coronavirus, now being put away in your home, now not being able to go to work, now with things being taken away, it's kind of like the wilderness, and we are more quickened to humble ourselves before God. This is one of the silver linings. It is a good thing that we quit depending on ourselves and humble ourselves before Almighty God. And so we bring ourselves low. We bring ourselves into subjection. We bring ourselves under. And being under God is absolutely the safest, most secure place we can be. David knew this, the psalmist, the king, Solomon's dad. David knew this. Psalm 27, verse 5. Listen to what he says. For he, meaning God, will will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. Being under God is the most secure place that you can be. And when you realize that security, the physical security that we have just by being, I don't know, American, just by being... Uh, uh, independent in ways that we are, when we realize that that can go away in one moment by a minuscule virus, by a microscopic virus, it can go away in one moment. We realize that being under 
subjection to God is the, is the most secure place that we can be. In fact, it's the only place that's secure. And so to be under him means that we are under his shelter, under his tent. And who else's tent do you want to be under in the day of trouble? We go to God. We subject ourselves to him. We come under him. And he covers us. He invites us into his tent. He's our refuge. And somehow in the midst of that, David says, when we are under him like that, he will lift us high upon the rock. He's going to, in our humility, he's going to exalt us. And this is only something that God can do. And so we subject ourselves to him in this moment, hopefully always, but especially in a moment like this, we recognize our need. David also said in Psalm 61 verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So again, we're going under, but now we're going under the shelter of his wings. Now for David and his understanding, this is a picture of what is a griffin vulture. It's got a six to nine foot wingspan. It uh, casts a shadow so wide you can't imagine it maybe. Well, this is the picture, that we are under his wings, that we are in his shadow, that we were under his protections like his chicks, like his children, and we take refuge under his wings, but we only find that refuge in humility when we come under him. Psalm 91, verse 4 and 6, he will cover you with his pinions. And under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes to noonday. And here again, David is telling us in the Psalms that we come under him in subjection. We find ourselves under his wings and in his refuge, and that he is a shield and a buckler. So where else do you want to go? Just like Pastor Cade said last week, where else would you go except under his tent, under the shadow of his wings, under his refuge? And so the first thing that we must do when we find ourselves in a season like this is, is exactly what the chronicler says. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves. And so we humble ourselves. Now it says, we pray and we seek the face of God. We pray and we seek the face of God. What does it mean to pray? Well, prayer uh, can be ritualistic in ways for us. Sometimes we pray before, before we eat or we pray with our children before we put them in bed at night and all those are good things. But this prayer is more than that. It's more than just, just a, a, a tradition or a religion, but it means to intervene with God, to mediate with God, to pray, to go before God and to depend on him with everything. Paul said that we need to pray continually, that sometimes we would go in our prayer closet and shut the door and have extended times of prayer. But sometimes as we walk along the road, as we lie down, as we get up, we would pray in the everyday, all day moments. We need to pray like this, intervening with God, medit meditating on God, mediating with God, reaching out to him. Prayer simply 
demonstrate complete dependence in God. I, I would suspect that over the last two weeks, there have been more prayer moments, minutes, hours, by generally speaking, by American Christians than in the months leading up to this coronavirus uh, uh, that in, in the ways that it has affected us in America today. There has been more prayer. Why? Because hardship and difficulty, pestilence, famine, drought, tanking economies, all of it turns us to the Lord because we realize our dependence on Him. And prayer is for every day, the mountaintop, the valley that we're in now, all the in-between. But these kind of valleys tend to tend to turn us toward being dependent on Him. And so we humble ourselves and we pray and we pray continually. It is time, church, it is time for us to pray like this. We pray and we seek His face. The, the, the chronicler says, what does it mean to seek the face of God? When we're talking about the face of God, we're talking about his very presence. We seek his face. We entreat his face. We pursue his presence. It was like in the time of Solomon when they came to the temple and God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple. They gathered, the whole population would gather around his presence to sacrifice, to worship, to pray. Today, we're the people of God. We're the temple of God. And so we have access anytime, any moment of the day, all day long, we can seek his face, his presence in prayer. And to seek means to pursue. It means to require. It means to request. It means to seek out the presence of God. And so that's what we do. I love that Jesus says to us, his followers, that we can call the sovereign king of the universe, almighty God, we can call him Abba, Father. We can seek his face. We can crawl up in his lap at any time and any moment because he's a perfect father. He will never reject us. He will always receive our seeking of his face. He will always receive our prayers. When we enter into his presence in humility, he will always invite us up into his lap. And, and, and you have to know he's a good father. He wants his children close. And so we seek him in prayer. We seek his presence in prayer. There's no place we would rather go. So if my people, verse 14, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then very importantly, and turn from their wicked ways. Not just a, like, like kind of bad ways or not just like little sins that we think we get away with and it's no big deal, but the, the chronicler is saying of the people of God, in these moments, when the pestilence come, when the famines come, when it's a season like that, it's not prosperous anymore, but it's difficult, then we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. That turn is a word that means repentance, turn away from the wickedness in our life and turn toward our loving Father. We walk toward God and away from sin. That's what we're being called to. That's what Solomon is being told by God that the people, the people of God must do in these kinds of times. Now, certainly, church, people of God, we have wicked 
ways. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. My own life screams sinner. And we need to turn from our sin and turn toward God through Jesus. Man, just outside the Temple Mount, not far away, Jesus hung on a cross in the first century. He hung on a cross to pay the price for our sin so that when we would come to him, we would turn from our sin. He became the sacrifice for our sin, the once and forever sacrifice. His blood shed on that cross that day in the first century outside the the city of Jerusalem, it satisfied the wrath of God. And for those of us that come to Jesus in forgiveness, we turn from our wicked ways and we confess our sins. The scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes us new. He makes us right. He makes us whole. And we can be in the presence of God because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so we turn from our wicked ways. Like that is huge. Humble yourself, pray and seek the face of God, but, but turn. People of God, Bay Area Church, you need to go in your closet today and you need to shut the door. And you need to get on your face and you need to ask the Holy Spirit like, oh God, Holy Spirit, would you sift my soul? Would you search my heart? Would you know my mind? Reveal to me the sin in my life that I must confess. And he will faithfully bring those things to mind as he draws you near to him. And when he does, you confess those things to him. You ask his forgiveness and you receive his mercy and you receive his grace and you walk, you turn away from your wicked ways. You begin to walk with God in prayer, seeking his face in humility. These seasons, like COVID-19 seasons, God uses to turn us away from wickedness and toward him. And this is his kindness in the midst of difficulty. So if we, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then we get how God will respond and how will God respond. Then it says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the first thing that God says when we come to him humbly like that, when we pray and seek his face, we desire his presence more than anything, and we turn from our sin and we, we follow him, he says, he promises, not just here, but other places in scripture, that he will listen that he will hear us. And, and we learn that he hears from heaven. Why does it tell us that he hears from heaven? Because heaven is a place greater than and above and expanding beyond our circumstances. Heaven is a place devoid or void of the coronavirus. Heaven does not have a tanking economy. Heaven is a place of of authority and perfection where God rules and reigns. And from that place, he hears the cry of his children who are living in a broken world. And he remembers his promise of restoration to restore all things. And so he hears us. He listens from his place of authority, from his throne of holiness, from that perfect place called heaven. He hears us. And I am, as a person, 
so grateful that God hears our prayers, that he hears your cries even now, that he hears through his son Jesus, a righteous sinner, a sinner such as me. It sounds like a contradiction, but I'm a sinner made righteous through Jesus, and he hears my prayer, and he receives them as I humble myself and as I pray and seek his face and turn from my wicked ways. And here's what he says. He'll not just hear it, but he will forgive their sin. He will forgive their sin. Now, that word forgive means to pardon, to spare them from their sin, to clean them up from their sin. It's not just mercy, but it's grace. It not just forgives us of our sin, but he gives us more. When he sifts our soul, he gives us, when we turn to him through Jesus, he gives us eternity in heaven, a soul that will last forever with him in his presence, beginning the moment we come to Christ. He will forgive our sin. The scripture clearly says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so our God, when we turn to him, when we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, and we turn from our wicked ways, he hears us, and he forgives our sin, and he forgives that sin through his son, Jesus. He brings the full work of the cross of Christ against our sin, and it forgives us and makes us righteous. And then it says this. It says that not only will he forgive our sin, their sin, meaning the people of God, this is a we thing for the people of God, but he will heal their land. He will heal their land. Now, this is like a physician that comes with healing. Uh, someone who comes with a cure, uh, someone who can repair all the broken things. He is the one who restores all things and it will heal our land. Now, hear me and he'll hear me well, especially American Christian. This verse, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, is often used to propagate a holy American agenda. This is not an American verse. It's not a Lebanese verse or a Syrian verse. It's not a Guatemalan verse or a Mexican verse or a Canadian verse or a a European verse. It's It's not for anything except the expanding kingdom of God. It's spoken to the people of God. And when we're talking about healing our land, there's two things we should know. First, this was given to Solomon for the people of God. He's talking about the land given to the people. But secondly, as we're grafted in and we are the people of Abraham, he's talking about his ever-expanding kingdom, that he will expand the kingdom of God even in these difficult times, that he will, in in the context of the United States of America, when the people of God in the U.S. turn to God, humble themselves before God, pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will walk in the power of God. They will be salt and light in the borders we call the United States of America. And in that way, healing will be brought to our land. But it's not an American agenda. It's the purposes of God for every person, for every people. 
and he will heal our land in that way. It comes from a people, his people, who are called by his name. Look, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then today you have to take to heart that we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. And what we learn in the scripture is then he will hear us, he will forgive us, and he will heal our lands. He is the great physician, the only one that can cure, the only one that can repair, the only one that can restore. And that's how he responds to our humility, to our prayer. And I believe one of the great positives of what we're going through today, both economically and physically related to the coronavirus, is that people are turning to God. Our church, Bay Area Church, and anyone that's listening online that wants to participate, we're going to begin, I'm calling you to a season, beginning tomorrow, 21 days of prayer and fasting, beginning tomorrow, Monday, March 23rd. You can participate with us by going to our church website, bayarea.church. On the homepage, you will see a button that says 21 days of prayer. Click the button. It spells out for you a calendar with 21 days, 21 ways we want to pray together in a unified way beginning Monday all the way through Easter Sunday, every day. Here's the hope. The hope is that you, that your family, that your people, that you will find a place in your home that you will push back from the table for one meal. You pick breakfast, lunch, dinner, but you push back from the table for one meal. And instead of going to the table, go to your closet. Take your Bible, uh, uh, maybe your computer, if that's what you take notes on, or a pen and paper, a journal. Open your Bible. Take that prayer calendar you'll get on our website, 21 Days of Prayer. Read the associated scripture Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and pray and write the things down that he speaks to you because you're going to want to remember these things. We'll do it every day for 21 days. Grab the guide online. The first part of the guide, in fact, really two-thirds of those 21 days, each day we're going to take one of the Psalms of Ascent. I really believe more than anything else right now, we need the presence of God. And each Psalm of Ascent is a song that was sung by the people of Israel as they traveled from wherever they were up to the Temple Mount to gather around the presence of God. And it speaks of the glories of God and the goodness of God and who He is. And we need to be reminded of those things and pray those ways. And so for for many days of those 21, you'll be reading a psalm of ascent. But the last week leading up to Easter Sunday, we'll turn to the book of John and we'll read passages from the Passion Week leading up to his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and his ultimate victory over everything. We need to pray. We need to fast. The next two Sundays, I'll be teaching you about how to fast and pray, and what we should expect from this time of fasting and prayer. But simply now, I just need to call you to prayer and fasting. It is time to fast and pray. No question. No question about it, people. I'd like to preach 
three ways to avoid anxiety. I'd like to, I'd like to tell you that like, you're never going to have any fear in this. I, I assume that you will have some fear. But you don't have to have terror. You simply have to turn to God in faith. And the way that we do that is we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek his face, and we turn from our wicked ways. We're going to find ourselves under the shadow of his wings. We're going to find ourselves under his tent. And in that way, we'll find security, we'll find peace, we'll find joy, we'll find contentment, no matter our circumstance. Join me in this time of prayer and fasting. Some of you today that are are listening and watching, you need a relationship with Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one that hasn't. And so we have to come to the only one, Jesus, the only way. He's God's way provided for us. It's through him that we find the forgiveness of sins. And so how do we come to that? We simply pray and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We, we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on a cross to save me from my sin. Cleanse me of all my sin and make me new. You can pray that way today. And the scripture says he will, he will cleanse you of all, all your sin, that he will save you and you will have eternal life uh, in heaven with him. No matter what happens to your body, your soul will live with him forever. Jesus Christ is the only uh, way. And maybe some of you need to pray that way today. Others of you know Jesus. You've been saved, but you've, you've distanced yourself from him. You've walked away from him. Maybe you've become utterly independent because you think in your own pride, like I can do this myself. You think Uh, that it's really all about you, or you think like, we're okay, I've got enough money, I've got enough whatever, and I'm telling you, we're learning an important lesson right now, that apart from God, as the scripture says, we are nothing, we can do nothing, and so maybe you need to come back to God, you need to humble yourself and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, believer, people of God, this is the call. It is time to pray and fast. Go get that 21 days of prayer guide. Begin with us tomorrow, praying and fasting. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes even now and ask the Lord in your living room, around your table, ask the Lord to speak to you as I give you just a a few minutes of silence. Lord Jesus, we come to you now because where else would we go? Father, as a church, as your people, now, in this moment, we humble ourselves. We bring ourselves under subjection to you. We cast away any work of the enemy, any selfish desire, any sin. We cast it away and we bring ourselves in humility, under subjection to you. We find ourselves under your tent, under the shadow of your wings, and we bow low before you. We humble ourselves. And we pray and we seek your face.
God, we're children crawling up in your lap. Let us be so close that we can touch your face. Draw us near to you. Lord, we repent for all the times that we have pursued our own pride, our own lust, our own anger, our own desires. When we have shaken our fist at you, God, when we have said we don't need you, Father, when we have just simply walked apathetically thinking, I've got this, and we turn to you now and we ask your forgiveness. We ask you to hear us in our humility. And we commit, Lord, as a church and as a people of God, we commit to pray and fast these next 21 days. God, join with us in every home and every car where prayer and fasting will take place, in every closet, in every family, in every household, God, where prayer and fasting will take place. Will you meet us? And hear us like your word says. And do the things that only you can do. Will you forgive us and heal our land, oh God? We're trusting you with this. Forgive us for being late with our trust. But even now, we don't want to waste a pandemic, God. We turn to you now. We love you. We praise you. Speak to us even as we worship right now. In Jesus' name, amen.